0: Lord God, wake us up to a worship for you now this fall. In the midst of all this struggle, may our worship not stop. And all of God's people said, man, well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be diving in. And uh, love that we can gather in person, love that we can gather online. Man, we've got a sweet opportunity to dig into God's word. We're in the second week of a series. The series is called Light the Fire. Light the fire and it's all about a church being fired up and ready to go for Jesus Christ no matter what's going on around us, right? No matter what, everybody say no matter what. Don't miss that. Our job is to be fired up for Jesus Christ because he is who he is, right? That's what we're all about. Lord, light the fire in us. May each of us individually Be ready to go after you with all we've got. And may all of us as a church rallying together be ready to go after you with all we've got. So we're pouring through the book of 1 Timothy. We got it started last week. And a couple of key words that you're going to see as we go after this is the word message. And uh, if we're going to be a church that's on fire, our message is going to be aligned with God's word. And we're going to walk through that uh, in the front part of 1 Timothy. And then members... Like for those who are a part of a church, what are we called to be to be a church on fire? And then ministry is kind of where he closes out First Timothy. What does it look like for the activities and the ministries that we go after here? So a church on fire, we're walking through it in First Timothy. Those are the kind of the top level topics that we're going to be going after as we head into it. And today we're in the second week of the message portion. And just so you know, the word justice, super important. And there's really two ways to be just. Uh, The first is you find out what is the law and then you get under it and you follow it. The other is, well, you just change it to be whatever you want and then you just be whatever you want, right? And, And like that is not the plan. Everybody say that's not the plan, right? The biblical plan is God has delivered to us what it is we're being called to. And then we align with that and say, "Lord, we repent, and we're getting under and ready to go with it. Lord, I long to be biblically just. That's where we're headed today and looking at what that looks like. So turn with me, if you will, uh, to First Timothy chapter one, starting in verse eight. First Timothy chapter one, starting in verse eight. And uh, the first point here, allow God's law to guide your values and your actions. Allow God's law, to guide your values and your actions. There was the Old Testament law for the Jews, and then that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now we have the New Testament law in Christ where he said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so we have this guidance from our God. Allow God's word to guide you. May you truly go after it with all you've got, okay? Here we go as we dive into verse eight. He says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And uh, Paul's like, man, I love the law. I understand that God gives us guidance and I'm not trying to make up my own rules for the way it should be and I long to do this the way the creator of the universe so sees it. And he says, the law is good. There's nothing wrong with God's guidance into our lives shaping us on where we should head. The law is good as long as you're using it rightly. And why does he say that? Well, because he just got done with an example. Last week we looked at it of people who were misusing the law to try to draw attention to themselves. To try to get people to follow them into some weird, aberrant doctrine. And he's like, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And he says, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane. Three sets of words there. Paul loves putting threes together, right? And he puts these sets of words together and he's like, for the people who don't want to follow it, for the people who just want to go off and do their own thing, quite frankly, uh, the world needs the guidance. And in fact, we need the guidance. Our own hearts needing to be guided by our God in the midst of it. I love the last word, in fact. It says, for the unholy and the profane. That word profane there, what's built into the word in the original language, it means the threshold of the temple, the profane. Those who don't even want to darken the door of the church. That's what that means. And he's like, really, this gives guidance for us, and our heart may push against And not want to hear, but if we're going to go after justice, we need to know what God has to say about things, not just how I feel about things, right? Remember some of what we talked about last week with our doctrine, the biblical truth is the foundation. And the feelings and the experiences need to get in line with that, okay? Ready? And all of God's people said. Huge deal that we grasp that. Paul's like, let me give you a few examples here. And so he begins to dive in, and just so you're clear, you might be like, what a random set of examples. And uh, just so you know, he's bringing it right out of the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. In fact, he's starting with commandment number five, and this is commandments five, six, seven, eight, and nine, all right? And he's going to walk an example for each one of them. So here we go with his examples. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, like the law helps guide, for those who (laughs) strike... Does it need to be said, don't punch your mom? Right? Like, it's pretty clear. But he's like, man, that's pretty disobedient, disrespectful. And uh, commandment number five says, honor your father and mother. He's like, I'm just telling you, if you strike them, that's not very honorable. He's just giving an example of how it's violated and how it's guided. And uh, just being able to understand it a little better. Here's another one, for murderers. Right? Well, the sixth commandment said, thou shalt not kill. And he's like, don't take a life unlawfully. And he's like, look, there's understandings of defense and what that means in the Old Testament, but to just get angry and upset because you want it your way and you take someone's life, unacceptable. God's justice defines that. And yeah, that's wrong to go after murder. It's the sixth commandment. And then he says, or for the sexually immoral or men who practice homosexuality. He puts these two together and For sexually immoral and the men who practice homosexuality, let's be super clear when we talk about this, all right? God has a view towards sex. God designed sex. And it's designed to be within the covenant of marriage. And sexuality is designed to be celebrating the oneness that's going on in the covenant of marriage. And that's also meant to be for one man and one woman. That is a biblical position. One man One woman in the confines of marriage, that's where sexuality is to be celebrated. Ready? And all of God's people said, dude, I'm telling you, it's being pushed against. And the world doesn't like it, but we don't become just by changing the definition of the rules. We fall in line with what it says. What does God's word say? And so he just gives a couple examples here for those who are practicing sexual immorality, meaning sex outside of the marriage confines. Sex outside of that marriage covenant. Just going ahead and experiencing it whenever, wherever. He's like, that's a problem. Or here's another one. Men who uh, practice homosexuality. Literally here it says men who are having um, man sex. That's literally what it's saying. Now, I'm just telling you there are some who would even use this argument. They would say, hey, the word homosexuality uh, was invented in the last 150 years. It didn't exist until 1850. I don't know if you've heard that statement lately. That's really buzzing around. i got to be honest. I don't know the etymology of the English word homosexuality. I have no idea when it came out. But I will tell you this. This was written in like 60 A.D., and it's pretty crystal clear. Okay. And so God is making it super clear where he stands with homosexuality. And yes, it is a sin. And that's the end of it. We need to get in line with that. Now that said, please be careful. Because in this society, there is a lot going down right now about longing for people's rights and to feel loved. And here's the deal. Man, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yes, loving everybody. Being able to pour on that care for them. And being able to be sincere in that. And if somebody's struggling with homosexuality, yes, to love them in that. But man, love is not enablement. We do long for them to be able to get a right relationship with their God. Please hear me though. Our job is not to walk around trying to make the world act like they know Jesus Christ. Our job is to be able to introduce the world to Jesus Christ. So really the last conversation I'm interested in having is exactly which specific behaviors must I change today right now as some kind of holiness faking plan. And really like let me introduce you to the savior of the world. His name is Jesus Christ. That has to be our passion to the world. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. But please hear me, don't distance from the definitions of sin. Because if there is no sin, And if justice is just whatever I feel I get to be, then we're never wrong and we never need a Savior. Are you hearing me on that? That is a super important moment. We don't walk away from God's definition of sin. It defines that we need Jesus Christ. So we long to share the need and the hope in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and my King. And I struggle with sin too. Please hear me, homosexuality is one sin among many. And yes, anger is wrong as well. Maybe you've heard this statement, hey, I was born into homosexuality. That's who I feel I was born as. Well, I was born angry. And, And that needs to change. And so I'm handing that over to God and saying, Lord, God, shape my soul. And Lord, I'm ready to see those things different in my life. And all of God's people said, May we sit under God's word, may we let it guide us as to what's right and wrong, and may we call first and foremost to a hope in Jesus Christ. He's like, yeah, the law even shows sexual misusage, whether violating the covenant itself or violating the one man, one woman portion of it. Either way, it's violating the principle, thou shalt not commit adultery. Sexual uh, purity. May God get all the glory, right? Here's the next one, uh, enslavers, enslavers, and uh, uh, I have to say this word is a very unique word here. This word means to take human beings and make them like your animal, to treat them as your slave to be able to get work done. In fact, the word in the original language uh, is andre padan, andre meaning man, padan meaning feet, like I've got animals that have man feet, that's what they're saying. They're literally using people as their animals and slavers. This is when you would like go to a foreign country, you would take them prisoner, you would bring them back home and you would use them as slaves for the rest of their life. Sound familiar? That's like what was happening with moving into Africa, taking black Africans and bringing them over here, misusing and abusing, making them your animal, your workhorse, enslaving them. Man, if you've ever heard that the Bible doesn't take a stand against slavery, now you know that's not true. 1 Timothy chapter 1, super crystal clear, enslaving is wrong. In fact, he lines it up, which I love this, he lines it up with the eighth commandment, which is, thou shalt not steal. The worst thing you could steal from someone is their very life. And taking them away to some other place, no choice of their own, and they are captive, is stealing a life, a soul, and it's wrong. And scripture's super clear that slavery is not cool. Now, the reality is some of our translations are a little uncareful with using the definition of another word that shows up. This is the word andrepanon, which means enslaved. But there's another word, doulas. And that word means I can't pay my debt or my bill. Maybe a bill that I already formed, maybe I know there's one coming, but I can't pay it. I have no idea how to cover it. So I come and I make a deal and I say, I will give you, I will work for you and give you my time and my effort. I'm becoming your bond servant. There's an agreement willingly as I lay myself into this to be able to cover a debt I already have or one that's coming up. I am a bond servant. And that word dolas is actually awesome. It's a way to interact with people to be able to cover a debt and you see it all over in Scripture. In fact, Paul says it's so not a bad word that he says when it comes to Christianity, just so you know, that's what we are with Christ. Doulas. We owe something we cannot pay. And we put ourselves underneath him as our awesome authority. And he cares for us lovingly and gently and compassionately, but walking us along as our debt is covered. las. Man, that is our God for us. And all of God's people said, major difference between bondservant and enslaving. Major difference. So if you ever hear anybody say, dude, the Bible's for slavery. Uh, wrong answer. Totally against it, 1 Timothy chapter one. Now, if you're talking about bond service, that's a whole different game. Let's talk about that, right? Make sure you're crystal clear on what's going on. And again, this one now lined up with the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Huge deal that we grasp the value that God has for your soul. He loves you. And he cares about you. And he loves every single human being in that regard. He cares. And there is no approving of this in any way. Make sure you grab that. And then the ninth commandment, he says, or liars and perjurers, Liars and perjurers, this comes from the ninth commandment out of the ten commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Like, lying is just changing the story. Perjuring. Changing the story in a court of law. Right? Not that. Like, these are just examples of ways to go about measuring and seeing the law bringing it up. The law is a measuring stick. Really. The law is like an MRI. It's super advanced. It figures out what's going on in the soul and it measures it. But all it does is diagnose. It does not fix. right? It diagnoses, but it can't prescribe. It ends up saying, hey, this is where it needs to be and you're not there. It's a great measuring stick that shows behavior and where it needs to be. The fix is coming before Jesus Christ and longing for him to do a work changing me So that I might be more like him. May God get all the glory. By the way, the world sells this fix. Just change what it says. And let's keep going. And that is not justice or holiness in any way. He ends up saying, the enslaving, the liars, the perjurers, or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. May we abide by what God's word says. And may he get all the glory as we go after it. His word, super clear along the way. Why did he go after the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth commandments out of the 10 commandments? In fact, if we're under Christ and Christ has fulfilled the law, why even talk about Old Testament law? Well, Christ said, really, let's sum up all the commandments in the Old Testament under these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if you take even the 10 commandments and break it down, the first four are all about love the Lord your God, and so is the 10th. And five through nine are all about love your neighbor as yourself. So he's like, How do you love one another? Commandments five through nine. And let's talk about what each of those says. And notice how it'll show when something's wrong. That's what Paul's doing. He's showing them the soundness of doctrine and how you can align with it. And, uh, May we absolutely see that, yes, Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament law, but, man, we are called to love our God and love others, and Scripture gives us some pretty high clarity on how to do that. It says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, all of Scripture falls in accordance with this one hope, Jesus Christ. Man, he is our king. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our guide. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. We sit under him. He has died for me. He has risen for me. I have life because of him. I am his forever. May my God get all the glory. My first and foremost question is not, how does it make me feel? My first and foremost question is, what does Jesus Christ want? He is my king. That's where we stand, man. This church, we will be on fire when we say, may my actions, may my life fall underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. And all of God's people said, dude, that's what we're going after. That's what we're going after. You know, this past week, Uh, I was headed out west, uh, didn't know exactly where the place was, so I actually typed in the uh, address of where I was headed to my navigator. I've got it on my truck, and, and so it was going to take me along, right? And so it shows you visually when you should turn, uh, it gives you a, uh, just a little bit of a feedback on that, telling you where you got to turn, how far it is until, and all that. And so I'm driving along, and I've kind of got it down, and, and uh, just sort of daydream. You know how when you get used to having the Navigator on? Like, I knew a lot better where I was when I was actually always looking at a map. Like, once you turn on the Navigator, you're like, whatever, right? And you're just kind of letting it go, and you're letting it speak along the way, and, and all of a sudden, I drive past, and I'm like, that was the exit, I'm sure that was the exit. What did I do? And I look down, and it's like 2.4 miles till you have to turn, and I'm like, what is it doing? That's wrong. Like, I was supposed to turn there. I keep going a little further, and then I see another sign pop up, and I'm like, oh, no, actually, I was wrong. This knows what it's doing. It's fine. I keep following it along. I turn off on that exit, keep going down. I have to turn on a little bit smaller road now, and so I blow by it at 35, 40 miles an hour on there, and, uh, Whatever the speed limit was. <laughs> and I'm, I blow past it and I'm like, I, I have no idea where this thing is saying to. And then it says, you got to turn in a half mile, quarter mile, and then it does the, you know, 500 feet, 100 feet, 50 feet, that was it. You know, it kind of goes fast by and you're like, oh man. So now I gotta go back, turn around. Now I slow down as I'm coming up to it. I'm like, oh, there it is. That's why I didn't see it. There were big trees up. And I just, and so I turn in there and I kind of go down that road. And now I'm tracking it again a little slower, watching a little more carefully. And it tells me exactly where to turn, takes me right to where I'm going. Man, I'm just telling you, the navigator in my truck is a lot like the Word of God. God knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly where he's headed with you. He's taking you on a journey. Trust your God. Follow with along the way and every time you're like, that's wrong. Just know you're wrong and you'll figure it out over time. Right? And let God lead you to where he's taking you. May God get all the glory as you turn in to this one celebration. Lord God, I long to be just before you following you where I need to recognizing what sin needs to go, may I set the sin down. May I turn away from whatever I need to turn away from and turn right to where you want me to be. Simple question. So are you letting God's word lead you? Are you willing to hear from your God about sin that may need to go in your life about things that need to change in your own soul, in your own thoughts, in your own wants? Do you grasp that your God's in charge? Or maybe let me ask it more simply. What sin needs to go in your life? Like, let's get real, man. Let's lay it down before our God and say your word first. I long for you to transform me. And please hear me. Our job is not to clean it up and then come to Christ. Our job is to recognize that we are so off kilter from what it says that we need to do a turnaround and come back to our God and say, You're in charge. Please forgive me. Just coming as you are and saying, Lord God, I'm done with this sin. Please forgive me. What sin are you coming with? How real are you willing to get with your King? And say you're in charge. May God get the glory. As we allow him. To lead. And all of God's people said. Amen. Point number two. Thank God for the mercy he pours out. In salvation. Thank God for the mercy he pours out. In salvation. Know this. When we come. Being real about our sin, Seeing how God sees it. And we just lay it out as it is. And we cry out to him, God brings mercy. He forgives us. And there's punishment that's due, but he's willing to hold that back. As we come and get real with him, mercy is our hope. Everybody just say mercy. Mercy, man. That's where we're going. Mercy. May God get all the glory. Here we go. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank him who has given me the strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is a Paul recipe. In the beginning of every letter, he starts out, Paul, an apostle, right? He's letting him know who wrote it. Then he's like, to, and he defines who it's going to. And then pretty quick after that, he gets to a, I thank my God for. And so now we've jumped to that, okay? This is Paul's thank you statement, and it's almost always just a clear worship statement. Here he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus. Like I thank my God who literally, who has given me strength, who has empowered me. Who has gifted me to do things I could never have done on my own and it's all him. Praise God for what he's doing in my life, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like he's in charge of my life and I'm giving him my soul. May my God get all the glory. Christ Jesus, our Lord. It says, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul's like, here's what I thank God for. He ended up finding me faithful, and this is super important we grasp. Remember Paul, he was a Pharisee. Like he stood against Christianity. He stood against Jesus Christ, not really having ever met him, but was not a fan In fact, he went around persecuting anybody who was trying to follow Christ. He was trying to tear down this thing called the church. He wanted it all done. Paul was a vicious, vicious anti-Christian trying to tear it down everywhere he went. Jesus Christ, after he had died on the cross, risen from the dead, and ascended into the heavens... Jesus Christ ended up coming back and meeting Paul on the road to Damascus and with his glory knocked him off his horse, put him on his back, and said, Why are you persecuting me? And Paul began to respond to him and said, Who are you, Lord? And what's going on? He made it clear he was Jesus Christ and this needs to stop. And in that moment, Paul was like, It's done. Like, I don't know what's going on, and I've been wrong, and it's done. He came face to face with the glory of Christ on the road to Damascus, blinded out. He was taken over to Damascus for a handful of days. He waited there. Somebody came to him to give him the clarity of Christ and the clarity of the call, and all of a sudden, the scales fell off of Paul's eyes, and he woke up to seeing who Christ was. He was a horrible persecutor, and now he's standing for it. He's like, I'm in. Let's do this. He began to go around right there locally sharing Christ and people are like, dude, isn't that the guy that was just trying to take other people to task? In fact, even wanting them dead and like, I don't know that I want to listen to this guy. In fact, they were all starting to rise up against him. Like, shut that guy down. I don't trust him. On the other side, the Jews are like, shut that guy down. I don't like the message he's saying now. And so everybody's coming against him. They're like, we got to get this guy out of here. Paul's causing a lot of problems. I think he probably heard that phrase a lot in his life, right? Paul's causing a lot of problems. And so they got him out of there and they got him away. In fact, if you go to Galatians 1, verses 17, you don't have to turn there. But Galatians 1, 17 through early chapter 2, Paul gives kind of the history of his life in that domain. And it was like literally 14 years of prep that went on. As he locally was learning to share Christ with Gentiles, he was seeing people get saved. He was practicing out the doctrines he was learning, the Holy Spirit sharing with him exactly who Jesus Christ is. And he spent 14 years in quiet, back in the kind of nowhere land, seeing Gentiles being led. He faithfully walked a journey for 14 years, letting Christ do whatever he saw right to be the timing. That's what was going on. Now let's reread this. I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He saw the 14 years of faithfulness. He saw I was responding with, and he gave me even that ability to respond. I praise God for that. And so at the end of that 14 years, he came back to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus, and they ended up having a talk with the apostles in Jerusalem. And they're like, all right, it looks like the Gentiles are getting saved through you. It looks like there's ministry through you. They laid hands on, and that's where he was ending up sent into ministry, taking on apostleship, a privilege he, think, he thought he had no privilege or right to. In fact, he says that in Scripture. I'm the least of the apostles. And he's like, man, I'm just telling you, all I did was respond to the mercy of my God. That's all I did. And, and I thank God that I have the privilege to do something for him. May Christ get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said. And all too often we're like, how do I make much of my name? Down with that plan. Paul's on the, how do I make much of his name? He's the God who gives mercy. He's the God who poured on what I didn't deserve. All I did is respond to him over 14 years and I can't believe the ministry of service I have the privilege of being a part of. Praise God. Right? And he's like, So he found me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent. This is a description of back before he came to Christ. He's like, man, I was nasty. And again, remember, Paul loves the triads, the three sets of words. So he's like, I was a blasphemer. I spoke against God. I was persecutor. I tried to hurt the people who were following Jesus Christ. And I was an insolent opponent. There's a Greek word there. It's just one word and it basically means super prideful and willing to bring pain on anybody else for my own joy. That's what that word means. Insolent opponent, a horrible, horrible guy. He says, but, and you gotta love when you see that word, right? But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, but I received mercy Make sure we grasp this. I really wrestled with this sentence a lot this week. And notice this. It literally says, where it says, I received mercy. That's trying to put it into the English so we grasp it. But here's what it says in the original language. I was mercied. It's in the verb, and it's saying he received it. He didn't do anything about getting it. He received it. It was poured on him. I was mercied. He's like, dude, I didn't do this. I was mercied. God poured it on and I never earned it. Praise God for that mercy. What I did in my sinfulness deserved something way horrible. But I was mercied. Praise God for it. He says, I was mercied because I was actually acting ignorantly in unbelief. Let me just emphasize first this word unbelief. He's like, I am not excusing anything. It was wrong. It was unbelief. I wasn't following with him, I wasn't with my God, and I was in sin. Paul's not excusing it. In fact, if you go a verse and a half later into verse 15, he says, sinners, man, I was the chief of them. I was the foremost of sinners. I was the lowest. He's not trying to excuse his sin here. He's like, it was sin, it was wrong. Man, if we long for mercy, we've got to be able to see sin the way God does. And all of God's people said... And he's like, I see it as sin, it was wrong, it was unbelief. And then he attaches the word, it was ignorant. Like, look, there were things I didn't get. I thought I was doing it right, but I was wrong in what I was doing. I was missing it. I was completely off. And it was sin. God mercy to me. Thank God for it. He says, but I was mercied. I received mercy as I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And the grace of the Lord overflowed. Let those two come together. He says, I was mercied because, dude, I was horrible. And God was amazing. Like I was in the dirt with my sin. It was unbelief. It was way offline. But God overflowed. Literally, it means, it's one word in the Greek. It says, filled to the top, spilling over above filled. I overflowed with the grace pouring from God unto me. Praise God for that wonderful gift of mercy. The giving where Paul did not deserve it. Please hear me every time we change the law to make me okay. I'm not getting overflowed with grace. And I'm not getting mercy. I'm just saying, what? I'm fine. And I'm trying to continue being just who I am. May we long to see sin as God sees sin. May we long to call it what God sees it. And please hear me on this. This world is going to push in on this church. They're going to ask you to change the definition of your understanding of sin. We're going to have to anchor in deep to this statement. My God's word leads me. I don't move off of it. I see it as he sees it, and I don't find the victory in redefining things so that now I'm just okay. I find the victory in my God pouring on mercy, on overflowing with grace. I'm wrong. He's right. I'm in. That's power. May God get the glory. Amen, man. Don't miss it. We're being pressed on. And God has made it super clear. His word will guide us to amazing healing victory. Mercy and overflowing and hope. And he gives here the definition in the end. With faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. With faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Your God loves you with all he's got. And he longs for the best for you. He longs for you to so experience his poured on grace and mercy. Don't miss it. The world will sell this to you. It's not love if you don't let me do my sin. God says this. It is so loving for me to call it what it is and transform you out of it all for my glory. Come join me. Jesus Christ. He's got an answer for sin, and it doesn't include a new dictionary. It includes his mercy and grace. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.